There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 31st of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Candidates in the general election enter into the last week of campaigning before the vote in eight days' time on Saturday, the 8th of February. Last night, the leaders of the main seven political parties took part in a Virgin Media television programme. I'm not sure if it could be described as having been a debate, but there wasn't anyone who stood out as the winner, nor was there someone who you would describe as a loser. I don't think it was the politician's fault, but the importance of what people watching wanted to hear so that they could decide how to vote was completely undermined because it was impossible to hear what was being said from the outset. Your local coverage continues here today with another roundtable debate with the general election candidates later, as well as some more of our one-to-one getting-to-know-you interviews with candidates. Regina Doherty is a candidate for Finnegale in Meath East, an outgoing TD, and the Minister for Social Protection. She's on the line, and a very good morning to you, Minister, and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. For people who don't know you, perhaps uh, you'd uh, tell us a little bit about why you believe uh, they should vote number one, Regina Doherty. Um, I suppose I've been living in Meath for 24, nearly 25 years now, raising my family here with my um, husband. And the reason I got involved in politics at the time, even though I come from a, a very political background, family background, um, was that we didn't have the amenities that we needed in our village when my children were born. We had no swings, we had no playground. Um, and that kind of just prompted me and a, lo- a, a couple of other parents in the area to say, hang on a second, that's wrong. Um, and since then, I suppose it's just, it's grown arms and legs and I've become more politically active. And, you know, I ran in the first election in 2007 unsuccessfully. And then I was elected to Meath County Council in 2009 and to the Dáil in 2011. And so for my pitch is that, number one, I think I'm incredibly honest. I try to answer all of the questions that people ask me, uh, including commentators. And sometimes that gets me into trouble, Michael, as you well know, because I speak and answer the questions. And I'm hardworking and diligent. Um, and I represent people with empathy, uh, with care and consideration. And I care about my county. I care about my town, my village. 
um, I care about the people that's in it and I want to make their lives easier by the laws that we change. And that's my pitch. It's just okay. honest yeah. and sincere. And I'm sure you care about your constituency, uh, Fine Gael voters, uh, and I'm sure that many of them would be of uh, an entrepreneurial nature and involved in small business uh, and many of them thankful for what you did in terms of making uh, social welfare available to them uh, in the way it's available uh, to uh, ordinary PAYE workers. Yeah, um, I, actually, I think I w- I'd like to think that I care for all voters. I mean, there's not everybody obviously votes for Fine Gael and I represent anybody mm. that ever crosses my door. But yeah, I, when I became the Minister for Employment Affairs, uh, one of the things that struck me back in 2011 when lots of people lost their jobs and lots of our tradespeople and our self-employed people lost their jobs, there wasn't um, a handout uh, or a hand up, sorry, from the state for those people. They were just left on their own. And I've tried over the last number of years to equalise the benefits from that pot of money that we're now talking about, which is our pension pot, but mm. it also pays for other things. And so I've introduced job seekers for the self-employed. I introduced an invalidity pension for the self-employed when they could no longer work ever again. I've extended treatment benefits. So it's, you know, it's, it's a start. There's still a long way to go, Michael. Yeah. One of the things mm-hmm. that struck me in the last couple of weeks is that I'm meeting a lot of self-employed people who are sick. Mm. They don't get illness benefits. So look, there's a long way to go, but yeah, I think no, we've made a start. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very popular, I'm sure, with uh, the self-employed employed many of whom would be uh, traditionally Fine Gael voters. Uh, there's uh, talk, uh, Minister, uh, that you may be retiring soon or that you may be forced to retire soon, uh, that you may be retired out of your job uh, on the 8th of February. You know, um, you've been following elections, Michael, for as long as I'm around here. I'm always yeah. the last to be elected. I'm always um, the underdog. And you know yeah. what, that's fine. So, look, I, I work hard. I will stand in front of every single door and But when you yeah. look at the polls, uh, uh, yeah, I they mean, don't look good. No, it looks like, it looks like it's been a false to lose and it looks like it'll be, relatively speaking, a three-way split between uh, Fine Gael, uh, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin. If it, it pans out that way, people are, are saying uh, that your long-standing political rival in the constituency, the, the popular one, uh, will get elected. <laughs> Well, that's what it's looking like at the moment. But look, as I said to you, I'm a bit of a scrapper. You know mm. that from our interactions over the years. Um, I won't be giving up until the very last moment next Friday night. Yeah. Um, I will earn the votes that I get. I think the Taoiseach endorsed Helen McEntee over you this morning uh, as well. Really? He, he, yeah, I think so. He was speaking on RTE and he said he wouldn't guarantee any seats in the next cabinet to anybody. But he did hope to form a cabinet with Simon Coveney and Helen McEntee. There you go. Look, um, always the bridesmaid, Michael. Always the bridesmaid. Um, if you are retired, uh, what do you intend to do? Uh, will you meet up at the gang in Summerhill or take up bowls or join a, 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 some sort of a, 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 a group or something like that? The one thing I know about myself, Michael, is mm. that I've had um, a number of different careers in my life. I've been blessed with opportunities that have come my way. I've had highs in my life. I've had some very low lows in my life. Mm. I'm not afraid of a challenge. I do genuinely like this job. Um, I do like helping people and I like meeting the people. And it's a wide variety type of job, you know, so there's no two days. And like, as I said to you, don't write me off yet. I'm a scrapper and I'll be here yeah. next Friday fighting for every single vote. No, well, I, I'm just wondering what you would do in your retirement or when your retirement would be or how much you would be entitled to when you retire. And what kind, so of, a, like a, what kind of a pension What kind of a pension can you look forward to, Minister? Like everybody else in the country, Michael, I won't get to retire, um, nor do I think I actually probably want to 100% retire until I am into my 60s. Mm. Um, I'm not 100% sure what kind of a pension it is. I've been paying into the uh, pension and work for the last eight years. 
Um, and whatever it is, it'll contribute, obviously, hopefully, towards um, my yeah. golden years. But it's something that I've... Well, uh, well, well you've a lot, you have a, look, a lot to look forward to. I, I mean, uh, you'll be entitled to a pension lump sum of around 60,000, probably over 60,000, and uh, you will then get a, an annual pension of about 30,000. I don't think it's that anything close to that, Michael. I'm only elected eight years, so I'm, maybe you have a better impression of the pension fund than I do. Well, I'm, ba- I'm, ba- I'm, ba- I'm basing it off uh, Darren Murphy's entitlements. I haven't a clue what Darren Murphy's entitlements are, and I think yeah. we've gone down that road, and I would have... Well, he got termination paid. payments totalling €52,101. Uh, he uh, got six monthly payments totalling €36,070, a pension lump sum of 57730 in union, uh, and a pension of 19237 uh, And uh, the actuarial value of it all was 450000 uh, And uh, then, of course, uh, there's the separate payment uh, for having been uh, a minister... Uh, so you're talking about uh, 60,000 uh, and then a, an annual pension of about 30,000. Overall, it'd be worth uh, about half a million, I think. Which, as I said to you, I think to describe it for the last five minutes, Michael, is that I'm not going to retire. And I'd be asking the people of me to allow me to continue to work for my salary, not to be going off into any sunset. Um, I but, but that's if you finished, if you finished this that job that we were paying you very well to do tomorrow because people voted you out and didn't like you. That's what you'd be entitled to. Uh, and you would be entitled to it when you're 65. Yeah, in fairness, the pension age of the contract for being a TD does have a retirement age of 65, and it's something that we've talked about considerably for the last number of weeks. And why is um, it that you're asking, why, why are you asking me to work till I die? No, I'm certainly not asking you to work till, till you die. Uh, what I want to ensure... Why can't I get a pension at 65? What we need to do, Michael, is to ensure that the security of the money that... No, hold on a second. You're, get, you're, get, you're getting half a million euro when you're 65. Why can't I retire when I'm 65? So first of all, Michael, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you over my pension. I haven't spent any time looking at it, um, and it will be whatever it is. But uh, the point is is that people pay into their pensions, and that's what they get out of it at the end of the day. My well, point today well, you're is paid by the public. You're a public servant. The people that you're telling... Uh, are, who, who you are telling are not allowed to retire till they're 68, many of them listening to us this morning, uh, are, are saying, why are you saying I have to work till I'm 68 and you're going to retire at 65 on this gold-plated pension that I've paid for? So first of all, um, politicians actually pay for their own pensions, which is something that maybe you're not aware of. The second thing is, is that I'm trying to explain to you that I'm not interested in retiring. I want to work for the money. I want to work for the people of Mideast, which is why I put myself forward in this election to ask pensions, to re-elect me. Um, politicians pay for their own pensions out of the money that is funded through taxation, which comes from the people listening to us this morning, uh, who are um, being Michael, dictated Michael, to, to, to... Michael, I'm not going to get into a row with you over TD's pensions, but TD's pay into their pension fund. It's not some free pot of money. They do pay into their pension fund. But the reason you are telling people that they cannot retire until they're 68. It's because the law was changed in 2010, Michael, and yeah. I wasn't elected in 2010. I think you'll recall that. Yeah, well, well the you, reason, you can repeal the reason, that. No, Michael, the, re- well, the reason yeah, that tell me the I reason. don't think we should appeal, repeal it yeah. is because if we do go back to 65, mm. in a very short number of years, whoever is the Minister for Social Protection will be coming to the pensioners of that day and the future telling them that we can't afford to pay them their pension. Because of how... And the reality is, is that the fund that's there isn't sustainable into the future. Right now we have five people in work for every pensioner in the country and you know it's the workers' PRSI that pays people's pensions. In a very short number of years, Michael, just over 10 years, we'll only have three people working 
for every pensioner in the country. And so, if you're that's, going to that's be because you're that's because you're, you're spending the social that's because you're spending the social insurance fund to win votes. Lot, Michael, you have to ensure that you act responsibly. Minister, and so Minister, is it is it responsible? Ensure the viability and the future security of all of the pensioners who haven't even started to think about their pension. Minister, I'm sort of thinking of that television debate. I'm thinking thinking of that terrible television debate last night. People can't hear. Well, no, if you want said. me to answer a question, oh no, no, but but but, but, but I'm trying to ask you a question because. No, I'm trying to ask you a question uh, and, you know, when I ask you a question I'm hoping that you'll answer the question that's been asked of you Uh, and uh, I'm just wondering uh, if the problem is that the social insurance fund is being gobbled up because you're spending it trying to win votes and that's going back to the question I asked you about this giveaway this this giveaway that you gave to the self-employed that is going to cost 413 million euro by 2025 the people who are self-employed and entrepreneurial enough yep. in this country to provide that jobs not only for themselves but for hundreds of thousands of other people, mm. you don't think they should be treated equally? What, is that what you're saying? Oh, equally would be fine, but but, but how are they treated? How, how is about, uh, how much uh, do they pay in PRSI? What percentage of their uh, income? The p- current percentage of PRSI is four point seven five. Okay, um, uh, and, a PA, and a PAY and a PAYE worker pays four point seven five percent. A PAYE worker pays up yes, to... Yes, Michael, exactly the same. And so where you're confused, then, is, is the employer's contribution. Yes. Yeah, well, that's not the PAYE worker. That's the employer. Oh, and well, I think you're confused, Minister, with respect to you, because the employer counts that into the... They provide the jobs for themselves, the, the, but also for tens of thousands of other people. 14.95%, and I think every employer will tell you that, they, they, that when they pay out uh, their salaries to people, they include that in what the, it costs to employ somebody. So 4.9... contribution from an employer, from an employee and a self-employed person in this country is exactly the same. Where the difference comes, Michael, is the contributions is from the, the contributions employer. that are being paid. Yeah, so By the employer, not the employee. An employee um, and a self-employed person both pay 4.75% of a contribution to the PRSI fund. Mm, uh, and, and so I don't think it's fair that we treat them differently. I do believe that... Well, be well that's because there's votes the for you from them. But, but, I mean, I think anybody who is a PAYE worker knows that 14.5% or 15% of uh, their earnings goes to PRSI between their contribution and the employer's Between their contribution and the employer's contribution. I'm not misleading people. people. If you're an employed person, you pay 47 Everybody can see this on their salary slip. You pay 4.75% of your wages. The Irish Congress of Trade Unions have told you, Minister, that... that, that, that the levy into the social insurance fund on self-employed your people, Self-employed people are paying enough to cover 24% of what is being paid by direct employees. Uh, and they end up with the same benefits. So 24% equals 100%, and that is somehow equality. That's nonsense. That you're, you're, you're choosing believe, to ignore the recommendation from the government's tax strategy group, which said that PAY or self-employed people should end up on a rate of 12%, not Michael, 4%. I believe that people who go out and provide jobs not only for themselves, vote Finnegale. are electricians, vote Finnegale. are window washers. I don't vote know who they vote for. They well, vote, I think, probably across the spectrum, Michael, given that Finnegale are only on 22%. So if everybody that was self-employed voted for Finnegale in this country, you know, in the country, my seat wouldn't be in danger. Yeah, well, you're, so ignore, you're, you're, you're ignoring the government tax strategy group. You're ignoring the government tax strategy group in the same way that you ignore the data protection commissioner. 
we're kind of turning into a Vincent the, the show that you uh, gave out about at the beginning of the show. That was dreadful, yeah, yeah. So if you want to ask the question, mm. Michael, I'm certainly willing to answer the question. But you shouting over me doesn't do a service to any of your listeners. Well, I'm not sure if I'm shouting over you or if you're shouting over me, but I was trying to put the question to you about the government tax strategy group. I'm not sure if you heard that because they're recommend- Well, OK, I, I don't think you addressed it. No, I, I have addressed it, Michael. I believe that the people who are entrepreneurial enough to go out are window washers, our bread men, our electricians, our plumbers, all of the tradespeople that are working in our communities and villages, I think they deserve to be treated equally, having designed and uh, created jobs for themselves and for tens of thousands of other people, as to the people who go and work in companies uh, in our towns and villages. Okay, too. all right. I think there should be an okay. equality. So, so as, a, as a result of that, you're spending €413 million Euro because of that belief that you very honestly hold. Uh, which has nothing to do with getting votes off people uh, who would traditionally vote for Nigel, who would benefit from that. But you're you're willing to spend that 413 million euro out of the social insurance fund, and and and, and 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 as a result, you're telling people that they can't retire or, or, or get a pension until they're 68. What's, you what's you you will get your you will get your gold plated pension, Minister, when you're 65. Are you willing to say you'll hold off till you're 68? Well, I, as I just told you, Michael, I don't get my pension until I stop working, and as I my ambition right now is to continue to either work in the public sector, which I'm currently employed on. You're entitled to it at 65. If the people of Meadies don't want me anymore, then I will obviously go and work in the private sector. Yeah, but you're entitled to your pension at 65. What's the 413 million, Michael? That you just said a couple of times. What's that 413 million? What do you mean by that? Well, that is uh, the cost uh, that Irish Congress of Trade Unions, as I said earlier on, have estimated that this will uh, result in for the Exchequer by 2025. No, what will result? This benefit that you're giving to the self-employed. Michael, the benefit has been given for the last four years, the last three years, mm. and it certainly doesn't cost anything close to 413. But as I said well, before, I'm just... and I say it again, I think people who pay into a fund should have access to the benefits to take out of that fund if and when they need to. And I don't think we should discriminate between whether somebody is self-employed or employed when they both pay exactly the same amount of money into the fund. So now you obviously disagree with me, and that's fine. You're so, not self-employed. So you, you, you're happy with your entitlement? of qualifying for your gold-plated pension when you're 65. Michael, I intend to keep working. I'm healthy. I'm relatively still young. I have ambition to do uh, my best for the people of Meadie. So, if they choose on Saturday week not to choose me, then I will go and I will work in the private so sector. So you won't guarantee... So I have no intentions of uh, retiring yeah, until I'm absolutely... But you won't give a guarantee that you'll wait till you're 68 like everybody else. To get the contributory pension, everybody will have to wait until the same age, except for those people next year that we've introduced the pension transition payment for. for and the reason for that, for, Michael, for your TD pension and for your ministerial people. pension, you're entitled to it at 65. Are you willing to wait until you're 68? Are you? Are, 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 I, I, I will you guarantee Michael, that? You asked me to come on this morning to talk about uh, me, to talk about my policies, and all you want to do is to talk about um, your policy uh, about a making that yeah. mightn't come for another 25. No, no this, years. I mean, this, this is everybody we're talking about. Everybody, uh, you're telling everybody else are, to wait until they're 68, and you're able to get it at 65. That is your policy. Michael, that's why I was going to try and explain before you nearly were going to burst a blood vessel that we introduced a state transition payment last week. We announced it last Friday Mm -hmm. because the people... Uh, who are potentially going to be retiring next year or the year after weren't aware okay, that the age had gone up to 67 as was yeah. changed in the legislation back in 2011. I think, I, I think and people... that payment is €248.50 and will yeah. commence on the 1st of January next year. So nobody need worry okay. about not getting their pension. I, I, I don't think anybody yeah. wants me to ask the you... The pension I don't, I, I don't think anybody wants me to actually ask you the question again, Minister. Uh, do you want, uh, fi- final opportunity. Would you like to answer it? I've answered it three times, Michael. I've already told you I'm not interested in retiring. I want to continue to work not only... You're, you're not interested in pledging 
that you won't draw down your gold-plated pension at 65 or, or that you won't pledge that you would hold off till you're 68? I intend to keep working, Michael. I don't know how many yeah. times I have All right, to so you're, 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 you're not answering the question. That's very clear to our listeners, Minister, and our time is long up and we're over time. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. And as us. always, Michael, it was a pleasure to talk. And it was a pleasure to talk to you, Minister. Thank you very much indeed. So that is uh, Finnegale candidate in me, the East Outgoing TD and Minister for Social Protection, Regina Doherty. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk about sex work, people who go into prostitution and people who can't get out of prostitution and laws that were introduced in 2017 which made it illegal to purchase sex. An interim report into the introduction of those laws, that's the Criminal Law Sexual Offences Act 2017 was published this week and we're joined by Amanda Keane, Policy and Communications Manager with Ruwa which works with people who are involved in the sex industry and those who wish to leave the sex industry. Good morning to Amanda and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme morning, this morning. Uh, so a couple of years on, uh, there's been little in the way of uh, convictions, just three convictions, I think, uh, some people awaiting prosecution uh, and a lot promised two years ago, but very little done to support the introduction of these new laws, it seems. Mm. So just to explain a little bit about the legislation itself, the reason it came in that before 2017, prostitution itself was criminalised across the board. So what happened with that was that women themselves in prostitution, particularly women who are in on street, um, they were the ones that were targeted under the legislation. They were kind of seen as the low-hanging fruit. So they were criminalised uh, for their for being in prostitution, um, while the, the buyers, the exploiters of the women got off got free, essentially. So since then, what we've seen is, I mean, since the law changed in 2017, for the first two years, there was very little done in way, by way of targeting the sex buyers themselves. Uh, in 2019, that's when we saw the three convictions. The first one was just over a year ago, last January. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's more uh, prosecutions pending. But what we've seen in terms of the legislation is that the shift has been focused uh, from the women themselves to protecting the women in prostitution, but uh, focusing on the buyers to deter the demand. Uh, so part of it, the report that was launched this week, it recommends that there's more resources put towards the legislation, more training for law enforcement, and just improving the response all the time for women so that they have access to justice because uh, so many women in prostitution experience violence. No, right. More done to support the women who are in this, and it's predominantly women, not just exclusively women, but predominantly women yeah. who are in prostitution. Yeah. More done to support them, uh, but not more done than was originally promised. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So a core part of this legislative framework has to be the provision of exit support for women. We know that 90% of women overall, uh, 90% of all people in prostitution want to exit it at some point, but there are so many barriers to exiting the sex trade that it can be so difficult. So, I mean, core kind of barriers and challenges uh, for to exiting mm. the sex trade would be firstly poverty mm. and a lack of what uh, women would see as viable alternatives. So we'd have to see increased access to social welfare. For example, I mean, most individuals in prostitution in Ireland are migrant women. So if you're not um, a victim of trafficking from a... Uh, a third country national essentially if you are a, a, mm. a, a woman in prostitution is a, a national of the EU unless you fulfil the, the requirements of the habitual residency condition to access social welfare you can't access social welfare in Ireland so that is trapping a lot of migrant women in prostitution 
Another thing is access to housing. So, I mean, the state of the housing market has a real uh, impact on women in prostitution because, uh, for example, on on street prostitution, a lot of the women that we meet in Ruhama, they would be in situations of homelessness where they're staying in emergency accommodation Mm. and they're they're really dealing with chaotic uh, lifestyles. And then you've got women who are stuck in brothels because they have nowhere else to go. So there has to be... um, there has to be access to housing for them so that they can exit the sex trade. If you don't have a base to call home, if you don't have a secure space for yourself, then it's so difficult. Health services as well. I mean, the the, the health consequences of prostitution across sexual health, physical health, psychological and emotional well-being are very well documented. Mm. So the health supports, they have to be really specific to meet the needs of women in prostitution. Another thing would be a lack of education and training or gaps in work experience if women don't have, um, if they haven't gotten formal qualifications and they're in the sex trade and then they have these gaps on their CV as well where they're, they're, they haven't been um, in the formal labour market. It's very difficult to access work. Legal supports as well. Uh, women need access to justice so that they can move on from um, a lot of the violence that they experience. And then third party control is another big barrier to the, 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 the pimps, yeah. So the pimps, mm-hmm. yeah, the traffickers, yeah, yeah. the partners mm-hmm. who yeah. are coercing women into um, into paying off debts, for example, that they might have themselves. And these are the things that s- stop women getting out of the exactly. sex trade. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you could list a, a lot of the same issues, poverty, homelessness, housing, coercion, lack of education, psychological trauma, isolation, immigration status, these things. You could list the, 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 these as the reasons that women end up in prostitution too. Exactly. They're both push, they're push factors into prostitution and then once you're in prostitution, if those issues aren't addressed, then they compound and they keep you entrenched in the sex trade. Um, So, you know, exiting prostitution can be such a long-term process. It's one of the things that we offer to women. It's not a requirement to access our services, but we do find that most women we encounter, they do want to leave at some stage. And if these areas, if they're not dealt with, then it's such a risk um, of driving women back into the sex Mm. trade um, even, you know, they'll, they'll say occasionally that they'll do it, but then it becomes, it snowballs, um, and then they become further entrenched in it. And what happens as well mm. is that a lot of the resources are concentrated in the urban areas, including in Dublin. Like, we work on a nationwide basis, mm. but, um, you know, for for it's difficult to access women in rural parts of Ireland who are trapped in the yeah. sex trade and don't have the resources there for them. And there's plenty um, so, of them, as we know. Uh, I mean, there's brothels exactly. and uh, prostitutes uh, in every town and village of the country, it would seem, exactly. at this stage. Uh, but when uh, you look at the sex trade and why people end up in it, I mean, I think there's probably some very obvious answers when people are trafficked here or forced into it for whatever mm-hmm. reason and pimped out and so on. Uh, but do people choose to go into it otherwise, uh, or is it that they accidentally find themselves in a situation where circumstances led to them selling themselves once uh, and then that was uh, money that they couldn't resist looking to get a second time around and so on? Predominantly, it's women who have no other choice. Um, So when we talk about choice within prostitution, there's a small minority of individuals who are in there, um, you know, when they have other options open to them. But the reality is that most women are in there because they don't see another option. They'll they don't see another way that they can make money, that they can live. Yeah. Um, so in order to support women who want to exit because the harms are so extensive, yeah. um, they have to be provided with 
with solutions for all the issues that drove them into prostitution in the first place. Okay. Um, and we have a general election coming up next week. We're asking politicians if they support the increased provision of exit support to women in sex trade. And we want to see it enshrined in policy and in the programme for government. This legislation is going to be reviewed officially and formally um, the, at the, in this year sometime. So we want to see that this is a core issue. Um, violence against women in general, but prostitution and supporting women in prostitution. Okay, Amanda, thank you indeed uh, for joining us around the programme this morning. Amanda Keane, Policy and Communications Manager with Ruwama. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to another of our getting to know you one-to-one interviews with general election candidates. Our next candidate is standing as an independent in Louth. Uh, Tabanga Bird, you're very welcome to the studio and thank you for coming in to us uh, this morning. Perhaps you'd begin uh, by telling us a little bit about yourself and why you believe people should vote Bird number one. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, The first most apparent thing about me is that I'm a boomerang. I'm a returned child of immigrant parents. Um, And with me, I bring more than 30 years of experience in government in locales as large and larger than this entire Ireland. I've dealt with the issues that I see are the most important and urgent here in many different ways. And my entire platform is based on returning the power of government to the people, to the local areas, through the reestablishment of town councils, the creation of neighborhood councils, block clubs, the creation of hyper-local economic schemes so that local consumers can link with local producers, local vendors, so that we can sustain and support our local economies and the creation of social mechanisms locally to address social problems, such as the enormous drug gang problem that you have here in Drada, that I've seen addressed and have addressed myself for more than 20 years in Los Angeles and look at it and understand it from a different perspective than I see being addressed. And I cry with you because I understand Mm. the impact it's having on you. So that, in a nutshell, is who I am. Okay. Forgive me, I, I don't know you. I wouldn't have been aware of you until I saw your name on uh, the ticket this time round. Uh, but uh, you said uh, you spent 30 years, I think, in government in Los Angeles. Uh, were you a politician or what was your role in government? Um, uh, in both Chicago, where I was born and raised. Chicago, that great suburb of Dublin, Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent, um, I was chief of staff of the Municipal Code of Revision Committee of the Chicago City Council. I ran a Chicago City Council service office. Um, I ran more campaigns than I even want to think about, knocked on more doors than I ever want to think about. Mm. Um, Worked for a while for Mayor Richard M. Daly, the second of the Dalys. Um, And then I moved. I got tired of being cold, moved to Los Angeles um, and changed my life entirely. Um, I went back to school, became a psychotherapist, social worker, and then spent 20, 25 years working in social services in Los Angeles, um, South Central Los Angeles, Compton, mm-hmm. the areas where I saw the kind of problems that you're seeing here now. 
So I have done a whole gamut of government work. And uh, your parents, they're from Dundalk. You're living in Dundalk, are you? Are they from Dundalk? I am living in Dundalk because I found Mm -hmm. Dundalk 30 years ago on my own. Okay, yeah. When I got in trouble at the Mm -hmm. border during the Troubles. And the people in Dundalk saved me. They helped me. They soothed me. They, you know... What happened to you? um, It happened to be that I was a young college student and I was... Naive enough during the troubles to try and drive alone a Dublin rent-a-car across the border. And a soldier with a bayonet had a problem with that. Now, when you're a naive 20-something and a soldier is throwing a bayonet in your face, it's a little traumatic. And he tore my car apart And before asking, where do you live? And and uh, in Chicago, he, he looked at me. He said, "You're an American," because they didn't mm-hmm. bother Americans. And he said, "Put your passport in the windshield." Okay, okay yes, sir. Um, so traumatic yeah. for a young person um, that I just backed off and found Dundalk okay. and stayed there for a couple of days okay. and calmed down. Mm-hmm. Okay, where are your parents from? Um, my mother's from Donegal, mm-hmm. over near Schlibelag. Okay. And my father's from Cork. Okay. Uh, so that's uh, your background. Uh, you say you have uh, solutions or, or proposed solutions you could offer to people in terms of uh, the ongoing gangland feud. What are they? Well, for 20 years I worked in social services. And I read the headline on the Democrat the, the other day where officials are saying to the gangs, be gone. The gangs aren't afraid of you. The gangs aren't afraid of Garda. God bless them. They're doing the best they can. But simple economics tells you that when there is a demand for a product, there will be a supply. Mm. And Al Capone knew that, didn't he? Everybody Mm. knows that. And and the fact that that is somehow escaping. But are you saying to look on the drugs problem as prohibition and to legalize the drugs in the same way alcohol was legalized? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is you have to address the socially created conditions in the disadvantaged areas that lead to drug abuse. We we know that drug abuse is a medication of emotional problems, so address those first. Okay. In what way? Peer involvement, peer mentoring intensive mental health drug treatment centers, getting in there, drug training, drug retraining for those people who are left out of the drug market, Um, establishing an identity that is not based on the name on your sneakers or on your trainers. Um, The unfortunate death of Keen was a message to other drug dealers because it was so brutal. But until you get into the communities and you work in the communities and you support those communities, which is a hyper-local effort, it's not something you can do in Dublin. They're dealing with Kinahan Hutch, which is such a minor part of this. It's dealing with the disadvantaged and disenfranchised people in Drogheda. Okay. Okay, well, I mean, I think you're echoing a, a lot of uh, what uh, the people working on uh, the front line are, are, are saying uh, needs uh, to be done. Uh, you talked uh, about uh, returning power locally to people. Do you believe in national government because you're being asked to be elected to national government? 
I believe in national government because there are national issues. However, the power belongs with the people to decide housing issues. I had a discussion with some people the other day. What, mm. Oh, we're going to provide affordable housing. And I asked them, do you know what affordable housing means in Dundalk? Do you know what affordable housing means in Drogheda, in Dunlear? And they couldn't tell me because this is another local issue. It Affordable housing is based on income. It's 30% of net income. Well, an affordable house in Dublin is not affordable here. It's not affordable in Dundalk. So let's those are the kind of issues that are really national issues mm. that have to be decided locally. Yes, we can build, give us a million dollars, and in Dundalk, we can build 100 houses. In Drogheda, maybe it's only 85. In Dunlear, maybe it's 125. But these are the kind of decisions that are national decisions, but that are to be decided locally. Another one is you've got a health care, a horrible health care problem here. We don't have an emergency department in Dundalk. So guess who's suffering? The people in Drada, because all, everybody from the Northern Ireland border south comes to the hospital here. So you can't get services in Drada because those people from Dundalk who should have our own emergency department are standing here going, this is the only place I can come. That's the kind of local initiatives we need for, mm. admittedly, national government problems. Okay. How would you, just briefly to conclude, how would you compare Irish politics to American politics? Um, I came here to get away from American politics oh, as it is now. <laughs> mm. I see the same situations developing here mm. that I saw there and led to some very unfortunate situations. Now, I happen to come from Chicago, where politics in Chicago are pretty much like Irish politics. Mm. So I understand the Irish politics system. Um, you spend a few lifetimes with Mayor Daly's of various mm. sorts, and you're dealing with Irish politics. Okay. And so I understand the core of Irish politics. I was raised by the Irish. I understand Ireland. I understand its people. I speak with Irish people more easily than I speak with Americans. But I see some of un very unfortunate traits, like the drug problem. Okay. It's as windy today, uh, probably, as it is in Chicago here. Uh, so there's uh, possibly another similarity there, but uh, we leave it on that note. And Absolutely. thank you indeed uh, for coming into us today. Topanga Bird is an independent candidate in uh, the general election in the constituency of Louth Eastmeath. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to all our listeners. Paddy from Kells was listening in to the interview with Regina Doherty, the Fine Gael minister, and says he never heard anything like that interview, that he feels you behaved appallingly in your interviewing technique, that you were like a badger attacking her and didn't give her a proper chance to respond to a question before attacking her again. Paddy was clear to point out he is not a Fine Gael supporter or a supporter of Regina Doherty, but he is a supporter of fairness and giving everyone a fair crack of the whip and feels that that did not happen this morning in the interview. Feels you were out of order and he is disgusted 
interested, which you might not. Okay, Paddy, I hear you. Regina Kay also has a view on this and she too is disgusted with your behaviour, Michael. She thinks that you behave like a male chauvinist pig, feels you are ignorant are aggressive and rude in your questioning. I never gave her a chance to respond. It was more like an interrogation than an interview. You constantly harangued her about her pension. But as she said herself, she hasn't lost her job yet. So why keep asking the same question? I feel you should be ashamed of yourself. Okay, maybe I should explain it. It's because there's a lot of people who thought they were going to retire at 65 or 66. Uh, Now they're being told it may be 67 or 68 before they're allowed to retire. And uh, that has upset a lot of people as I say, the minister, uh, regardless of whether she keeps her seat or retires from politics now, is entitled to a pension, I think, that's worth in the region of half a million pounds. And she's entitled to that from the age of 65. And the question that was being put to the minister is, why are you entitled to such a gold-plated pension at 65 when you were saying it was wrong for other people to retire at 65 or 66, or 67, and that many of them will have to wait until they're 68. Okay, Tractor says, listening into that interview with Regina Doherty, I feel that Michael is totally right. He's asking the questions and asking them over again because she is not giving the answer. And that is why he needs to do that. I think he is doing what we all want him to do because we all want to know the answer. Okay, well, I think that the Minister probably did give an answer, an answer of sorts in any ways. And a very good morning to you from Douglas Cameron here on the Today programme. The French national anthem, the Marseillaise, on this, an historic and significant morning for Britain, are first in the European economic community. Yes, as from today, we're in Europe. The possibility of a loss of national identity as a consequence of membership, a fear that our own political institutions may ultimately become subservient to some kind of supranational body staffed by faceless European (laughs) bureaucrats. Now then, you've been in from the beginning. Has that in any way been France's experience? No, no. We have already, we've always taken this, that very same stand which you just mentioned, that's to say we are dead against the uh, eurocratization of, of uh, our country. We've always been a party that has recognised that Britain has a future in Europe. Britain can represent the Commonwealth in Europe. It would be absolutely wrong for us to play politics with that and turn around and say, well, because we could topple the present government, we're going to be non-European. That would be, oh, fundamentally wrong, and I couldn't possibly do it. BBC Radio 4, today's programme, remembering some of how it covered 47 years of uh, the UK's membership of uh, the European Union, which ends uh, tonight on its uh, Today programme. Today, Paddy Malone, who is uh, the Piero of uh, Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce, on the line with us uh, there. At least one familiar voice for you. I know you're a great fan of Margaret Thatcher, Paddy, uh, but it, it brings uh, to an end... Uh, only when, only when I... W- when I need a nightmare or a scary story, scary film. Okay, but it brings uh, an era to an end. Uh, 47 years, it's a long time uh, for them to have been bedfellows uh, with uh, the other countries in the block. Uh, but not much is going to change tonight, is it? No, and just to go back on Thatcher, she never wanted to leave the European Union. Mm. She banged the handbag on enough occasions and 
uh, on one occasion managed to get more money for Louth by mistake, but um, we won't say no to it. When she got the negotiations done, redone and uh, a rebalancing of the money, five million committed in a dark area by mistake. Okay. But um, that's an aside, and that's a long I time knew, ago. I, I always knew you were a fan. Anyway, yeah, go on. No, but I'll take five million pounds from no matter who. If I it's know. the devil that's giving it to me, I'll take it. <laughs> but um, it probably was. It was. <laughs> you said it. Um, to be serious, nothing changes now. Yeah. But. And it's a big but. There's a lot, of more, lot more work to do. Uh, and it's got a very short space of time. Mm. And if you look at a country like Canada, it takes 10 years. And, you, you know, in other countries, negotiating a trade deal in a very short space of time is going to be extremely difficult. Now, I was in Brussels last week. Uh, it'll be extended, Paddy. And I know Boris Johnson says it won't. Uh, but uh, just, uh, and we'll come back to the mo- in a moment. Uh, but uh, I think they'll be dancing on the streets tonight and over the weekend across the United Kingdom. What are they celebrating? Because uh, they really left themselves in a, a subservient position. Uh, they're rule takers now and not rule makers. They're MEPs, as we saw so dramatically uh, with uh, that uh, interaction with Mairead McGuinness and Nigel Farage, have left the European Parliament, they've no say over their destiny and they will be told what to do by the former European partners. Yes, and didn't Mairead handle herself extremely well? Like, mm. as, as somebody, as an Irish person, I was proud of the way she handled it and with the, the decorum that she has. Uh, look, I feel sorry for the British because they're celebrating something that doesn't make sense to any rational person. And even you could see it with the Scottish and you could see it with the British Labour MEPs and some of the other and Conservative MEPs. They realised what was really happening, and it's not a day for celebration, and it's not a day for us to be gloating either. Um, and the one thing that I was pleased to hear was that the EU membership, including, um, I can never pronounce his name, the guy from Holland and uh, some of the others, was saying the door's open to come back. And look, let's face it, that will happen. It's just a matter of how long it's going to be. Um, but to celebrate... I think one of the things in Britain this weekend is a weariness over the whole thing for the last three years. It's dominated everything. Um, And they're just glad that it's over. I think, and the ordinary person feels that way, but the business person, the person who deals with with, with trade internationally, they know that it's a bad day for Britain and it's not a great day for us either. Um, And the one thing you would have to say is, that the government fought tooth and nail and fair play to the, all of the oppositions was in Leinster House just a credit to itself when you compare it to what Whitehall was like over the last three years. Um, there was no animosity, there was no differences between them, or if there was, they were kept under wraps. And we got the best we could get from a north-south perspective. But we've got to remember that a lot of business in Dundalk and a lot of business are, uh, in, in, in County Louth and Meath do trade with Britain. And their situation has not been uh, has not been resolved, and that is going to be the next hurdle. Uh, and that is something that has to be resolved in about ten months or so, unless, as I suggested to you earlier on, that deadline is uh, to be extended out. Because Boris Johnson said that they will be leaving at the end of 2020, but uh, as you said, nobody believes that it's possible to do a deal in that time. No, I don't think anybody expects a deal to be done in that time. And, um, It'll sound like as if it was in a junket, but I was in Brussels last week. It's the first time in 10 years the Chamber asked me to go abroad. Mm. Um, But it was because of Brexit. Mm. Uh, And the message that was coming across from everyone we met, and we had something like nine meetings in two days, it was pretty intensive, Mm. uh, was, look, it's to to negotiate a divergence treaty rather than a convergence because we already are joined at the hip, and therefore it will be easier. 
but nobody I talked to thought it could be done in six months or nine months. Mm. Um, so what happens, I don't know. I mean, and if Britain is, I think Johnson has enough sense and listening to yeah. people saying that yeah. he, while he may play the buffoon, he isn't. Mm. And if he has enough sense, he will find a wriggle room to get out of it and we will be in negotiations for a couple of years. Yeah, and God knows we've uh, faced into many deadlines and they were going to fall over the cliff and crash out, uh, but uh, somehow uh, the day was saved and the deadlines were extended. Uh, but uh, I suppose worth noting and marking the day with us uh, today because we've been talking about it uh, for at least three and a half years, probably longer at this stage, Paddy. But thank you indeed for joining us can here I this ju- morning. Can I just say just one thing mm-hmm. on it, Michael? Mm-hmm. The Chamber, and in conjunction with Newry Chamber, are running a conference on what's going to happen on the 11th of March in the Carrickdale Hotel. Um, we're opening for registration now, so if anyone is interested from a business point of view, this is going to be a first place where you're going to find out okay. what is going to start to happen. All right, 11th of March in the Carrickdale. Uh, we'll return to you uh, and give uh, some more time to discussing that and bringing it to the attention of people at uh, another time. Thanks, Paddy, for joining us this morning, though. Paddy Malone, PRO of uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Let's go back to some more of uh, the calls. What else have you got there, Marie? Marie from County Loud, listening to your interview with Regina Doherty. I think she should be ashamed of herself pushing the pension age up to 68 of years. Uh, 68 well, years of age. This generation has taken the brunt. Oh, oh, oh uh, our pension. Oh, sorry, I thought she meant Regina Doherty's pension. Has taken age. the yeah. brunt mm. of the recession. Mm. Not fair to expect us to take the hit again in old age. She says that during the recession, her husband was working for a construction company. He was let go. He was self-employed and working mm. for a construction mm. company. Mm. Let go. And when they went to look for social welfare, he was basically told to close the door on the way out, mm. entitled mm. to nothing, only for family help them out they wouldn't have survived okay, and she well, wanted to make this point. That's, I suppose, what uh, Regina Doherty uh, was uh, very happy to take credit for this morning uh, that the self-employed now are entitled uh, to social welfare. Eamon from Doherty Defended Embarrassing, the way you carried out the interview with Regina Doherty, he wants to ask the questions and answer the questions you won't let her answer when she tries to do so and didn't think it was good radio. Mm. Uh, Michael says, Declan, you seem to be writing of Regina Doherty. The election has hasn't taken place yet. She has done a lot of work for her constituents in Me the East and as she says herself she's a scrapper so it's not over till it's over says Declan okay yeah very good Uh, also Tom from Kells anyone with 28 to 30 years service should be able to retire at 60 years of age if they want to oh dream on Siobhan says Michael pity you didn't let Minister (laughs) Doherty explain everyone with a private employee pension the retiring age is still 65 years nothing to do with OAP says Siobhan John and Navin listening to the interview with Regina Doherty obviously they don't like each other also wanted to mention that a report issued yesterday uh, says that there is a huge shortfall in building industry workers in this country. Mm. So just wondering, will Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin change their policy now? They're claiming they're going to build huge numbers of houses, but who is going to build them? Because the building industry is already at full capacity. OK, well, have you understood uh, that last comment uh, correctly? Uh, I'm not sure where it came from because I'd be very fond of the minister. We've known her now since uh, 2009 when she was first elected to the council. Okay. Okay. Thank you indeed for that, Marie. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. 
Now, our roundtable debate <laughs> today is in the constituency of Louth East Mead. We've four candidates with us, uh, outgoing TD, Fergus O'Dowd of Fine Gael, Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, Gerald Nash, who's a Labour Party senator, and James Byrne, who is a candidate for Fianna Fáil and a, a sitting councillor. And you're all very welcome to the studio. You're, you're all Drogheda-based, uh, and it would be impossible, I, I suppose, to talk about uh, anything other than the gangland feud or not to talk about the gangland feud or, or all of the problems that have uh, arisen from that with uh, the candidates that we have here with us today. But there's been so much said. Uh, maybe we could look at it from a, a different angle uh, this morning uh, and look at, at the future and what we can do in terms of the young people uh, that uh, will inherit the world from us, if you like, uh, because I think there's a lot of concern for young people, not just about what's happening in Drogheda, but because of drugs, because of the phones, because of the internet, because of pornography, because of sex because of violence, because of crime. Let's uh, start with uh, the school teachers, if I can, uh, James Byrne and uh, Fergus O'Dowd, because you've both worked with young people. Uh, Do either of you think uh, that there should be some sort of a watershed on the soap operas? Look, Michael, um, I know from experience that every year we have guest speakers coming in to talk to the the students about Mm. uh, drugs and and the effects of them, but I I think we need to do more because... At the minute, it's drugs are everywhere. Mm. It's something that I become. But do you, do you ever watch EastEnders or Fair City or any of these things? <coughs> I, do, I the, the very odd time, Michael. Mm. The very no, odd I, time. I, I couldn't watch them. Sure, they're too upsetting. No, I, I, no. and I mean, there's. I mean, I think this is a, a real subject. I, I, I don't know if it, it warrants discussion, to, to but I mean, if, if you look at what's happening in people's homes every evening because their mothers or their fathers are, are addicted to these programmes uh, because they are very addictive because you, you're afraid you'll miss what happens sure. next. Yeah. Young children are watching this and they see this as normal behaviour. If nothing else, people are shouting at each other all the time. It's worse than a, a Michael Reid Regina Doherty interview. I didn't hear that, Michael. <laughs> I did. I think the key point is they reflect current society or the people wouldn't be watching them obviously. No, I don't think. No, but people people, people, people like oh. to watch them because they reflect what they see happening. They like to follow. I don't watch them myself. No, I don't think well, they do. Well, Michael, I don't think they well, do. I can, think I make, I, can I make the point here? Mm-hmm. The key point here is that what happens in the community mm. is what we have to change. And regardless of whether mm. there's a watershed watching these programmes or not. Well, I suppose that's what I'm asking all of you. Should yeah. we step back? I, I, I Should we step back and look at yeah. all of the things that we're doing from whether yeah. we're riding a bicycle down the wrong side of the street yeah. or we're watching EastEnders and and, and we believe that it's normal to be shouting at each other or stabbing each other in the dark. Michael, I think we have to empower young people particularly to make choices Mm. because whether it's on television or not, it'll be on the internet, it'll be somewhere else. Mm. So we have to make them aware of the dangers out there, aware of the problems Mm. and how to deal with them. And the other point is to to empower communities. mm -hmm. And that's the broader Uh, conversation that I am looking to have. It's it's to empower communities Mm -hmm. to to show leadership and to allow young people Mm. to show leadership in their communities. What what do you think uh, of of the influence that is on young people because we allow things to happen, whether we allow them to get a phone for their Holy Communion or, or to be sitting watching programmes like this with us at 7, 8 o'clock on yeah, a Monday. I don't know so much if it's soap operas, Mike. I think mm. younger people, you know, they have the internet. And as you said, mm. 
some parents are buying children phones for their first communion. So they've access straight away and no parent, no matter how (coughs) diligent they are, can limit, you know, the access Mm. of children will always find a way. And I think it's the general scene when they look at, you know, whether it's movies or some Mm. of those series, you know, all of that type of thing. Mm. Um, And they're being influenced by that. But last night I was up at the um, community project meeting in Rowan Heights and it was interesting listening to some of the youths and there was one girl there that had said... um, if it, if it wasn't for the community project officer, mm. you know, that she, she was having difficulties growing up. And some people, you know, have difficult upbringings and some people, mm. you know, have difficult mm. backgrounds and have to deal with a lot at home mm. and the services are not there. And she was saying if it wasn't for the support mm. that she had got from her youth project yeah. team, mm. that she doesn't know where she'd have been, you mm. know, that, that it was a huge influence on her mm. life. And, and some people she didn't say this, but others, I got yeah. the impression mm. that mm. that was the main influence mm. in her life. So yeah. I thought to myself, like, mm. the reality you know, what has she <coughs> come up through? Like, you know, what's mm. her... And it comes down a lot too to mm. parental guidance. And there's none of us know what our kids will do either. You know, yeah, we just or, hope or, for the best. And or give or we don't know what they're doing. James, James Byrne, you wanted to come back in. Yeah, yeah. Like the reality is, Michael, mm. the, the teenagers are not watching television. Mm. You know, I spoke to my first years recently. No, I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about very young children, seven, eight years yeah, of age, yeah. sitting watching like EastEnders. And, the, and that's not, where I... The reality I, is they're not you know. watching those programmes. Mm. And they, in my opinion, mm. are more influenced by what goes on on the street mm. than on the television. And Imelda's right. I mean, like, we need these community organisations, mm. these sports clubs, to basically take them off the streets because mm. houses sure. are being built. We don't have the facilities. I'm a member of St. Nicholas's uh, GFC. I know the great work that they're doing and trying to do uh, to just take these kids away from uh, the temptation of mm. getting into environments that, that put them at risk. Yeah, but I suppose uh, the upshot of that is uh, that they're digging locally for body parts uh, and, and that's the reason that we're asking these questions yeah. today. Should we start at an earlier age, Jed Nash? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's why I mean, I'm a, I'm a great believer in... Um, the holistic approach to actually deal with all of the issues that we confront us here as a community. Um, we had a an inspirational, I think, experience last night. Um, those of us who were at the Southside Community Project meeting, I was delighted to be there. I'm no stranger to the organisation. Um, I've been involved in youth work uh, in this town for over 20 years through my involvement with DYD, Boomerang Youth Cafe, um, things like the After Schools Project and Money More and so on, and the um, Breakfast Club in St Paul's and St John's. And it's so important that we, um, at that very foundational level in our community, provide the supports and the resources that that people need to become active citizens uh, and to understand their responsibilities and obligations to society Mm. as well. There was a broad panoply and a broad Mm. sweep of, you know, (laughs) every child is reared by the village, Mm. as as the saying goes, so everybody has a responsibility to And we heard from Monica before that meeting, but just to to remind our listeners, we're talking about some teens, really. I mean, a lot of them have been 15, 16, but some Mm. of them first-time voters as well. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, genuinely, I mean, I I said tonight, I was thinking, Mm. reflecting when I went home, and I switched on the debate uh, um, that all the... the, uh, main party leaders participated mm. in last night and I said and I actually put a post up on Facebook and I said look I mean I was at the real debate tonight we were at the real yeah, debate last yeah, night yeah, where we actually heard from young people about their yeah. concerns mm. um, their what fears but also as well yeah. but what also as well you, their hopes you, and ambitions yeah, what, what did you learn? <laughs> well, what, what we learned was the, the importance of the service that's mm. provided here in Drada 
how empowering that can be as mm-hmm. well. We heard some inspirational testimony from people who literally would have been lost mm-hmm. without the support of the youth workers and the service that's just across the road here mm-hmm. in Rowan Heights that serves the entirety of uh, this community population of about three and a half thousand people, a lot mm-hmm. of young people and a lot of social issues. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, originally when and I don't want to go back to, I guess, the issues that mm. all of us in this studio have been dealing with for the last three to four years. By the way, before, mm. in, in many cases, I think all of us have been dealing mm. with cases around drug debt intimidation, mm. fear, mm. Uh, reprisals, arson attacks on homes, mm. long before the first shots oh, yeah. were fired yeah, yeah, in this yeah, particular yeah, feud. Yeah, yeah. And you and I, Michael, have and discussed goes, this for a long, long time. And that goes back to what I was but saying the, the at the start, when, is, when you've got yeah. five, six, seven, yeah. eight-year-olds watching EastEnders, yeah. and yeah. then you're talking to young men who see young girls objectively and subjectively, young girls who believe that three are normal uh, and young people who believe that if you're going to the Debs well you need money for the suit the orchid and the cocaine well that unfortunately that kind of casual <coughs> drug use has almost become the norm now and actually by the way that's why we need actually a mature conversation mm. about drug use in this country and not just look at it from a, a criminal justice and policing perspective and what, yeah. I, what, I, what I've got to say just, just there is I mean Two years ago, myself and my colleague, Councillor P.O. Smith, started, first started talking about the multi-agency response that's required mm, to deal with yeah, this. Yeah. We can't just deal with this from a policing perspective. Yeah. And a, we need the kind of resources mm-hmm. that were funneled into the North Inner City mm-hmm. in Dublin and into Limerick. And, 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 and John Martin, the well, chief John executive, Martin, said she was John, delighted John, to establish John, it. John, John Martin established it on, yeah. on our advice. But yeah, the unfortunate thing is that at that point in time... I think I agree absolutely with what Chad is saying. I've worked for over 20 years in St. Oliver's and I know an awful lot of the families in this area, I've worked mm. with them, and I think the key thing mm. is empowering them through education is the first thing, mm. uh, supporting relationships, uh, and also mm. where there is disadvantage or where there is parental issues that may arise that there are. Do you think it's a question of disadvantage? I, well, it, it, it's, it's 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 well. Let's put it a different way. Wherever mm. wherever there isn't, and it, it's not mm. an economic issue. If 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 a child is a latchdoor kid, it could be middle class, could be working mm. class, could mm. be anywhere. Mm. Is to make sure that those children have a safe place to go, a safe person to talk mm. to. And that's the point I made and I think mm. the Taoiseach when he came to town last week, and I've been pushing this for mm. a long time, is that the North Inner City Drug Task Force and mm. Community Task Force will be established here if we are re-elected because you need you need a holistic mm. approach. You need to get the educators, the people involved in the community. I'm not sure that it is services. a question of disadvantage uh, because we're talking about but the it, world it, we live in, whether yeah. that's uh, uh, well-to-do we estate or a disadvantaged yeah. estate. And and there's also the virtual yeah. world, you know, yeah. and regardless of where you're from, the children are on their phones. The fact is that it is economic. Mm. Disadvantage, it particularly suffers more there's because a direct there's a higher rate of unemployment in disadvantaged areas, mm. and there's also people don't live as long. Their health is no, not I as good. That, yeah. Yeah, no, I absolutely, yeah. But and that's what has to be fought. Uh, uh, de Munster, um, it, it's a combination of all these things, is it not? It is a combination of all things, and one of the I was just watching um, some of the youths as they were leaving <coughs> the, the the meeting last night, and you could see the general general are the genuine kind of mm. warmth they had for their community support workers. There was a real relationship mm. there. You mm. could see it as clear as day. Even youngsters, fellas, 16, 17, you know, the way mm. they were talking to the community work, youth workers. But what, what I heard last night from the community workers and the youth was that because of cuts, mm. continuous cuts, mm. and I just, I have to say it because it can't go unsaid. Going back, I'll say when Deputy O'Dowd and Deputy Nash were at the Cabinet table, Ministers of State, right, the Gardaí in Louth were cut by 37. 22 of those guards were from Drogheda. 
they had decimated community policing. And this was the talk last night, community policing. Mm. They decimated it. And it well, allowed, it allowed those gangs to take... Hold on, sorry, just let me finish. They allowed those gangs to take root in the community. And do you remember when I spoke to you before, when I was saying it was happening? Do you remember I had said the guards, you know, everybody knew what was going on, and others mocked what I had said, and it came to pass. But it's because of cuts like that. It's because you decimate community policing in areas that that really need it. Mm. And that's a result of all of this. And here we last mm. night, you were hearing the, the community okay. youth workers saying was, there's stretch, there haven't enough people. Michael, I must answer that. And you that. Can see we, 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 how we, a lot we, of the youth we, are completely Everybody just relax. You could hear the youth, the youth project mm, workers mm, mm, saying that mm, they want to do more, mm, but because of cuts, you know, their hands are tied. James Byrne, you're sitting or standing with young people in classrooms all the time. Would the problems be in line with the cuts? Uh, I mean, is that something that you can identify? Look, Michael, if I could just go back to the point that you were making about kids as young as six, seven and eight. Mm. I mean, the reality is children of that age are getting caught up in, in what's going on here in Drogheda. And education is the key to supporting them. Like schools are a refuge for these children. And we need to invest mm. more in our desk schools. We need to cut the red tape so mm. that school principals are not fighting to get supports for these mm. children, to, to bring them back um, and, and out of risk. But the reality mm. is it's not happening. It's it's difficult for them to to get the funding that they need mm. and, and whoever's in government needs to really seriously mm. tackle that and, okay. and, and support them. All right, to put all of that into a question yeah. for you, Fergus, <laughs> sure, uh, course, the same yeah. question that I put to the Taoiseach when he was in Drogheda for the course, rally last yeah. Saturday, which was uh, that the people on the coalface are saying that the solution lies in taking four actions in unison. One of them is to restore community policing. Yes. A second is uh, to restore and increase funding to addiction services. The third is to give the Gardaí the resources that they need. And the fourth yeah. is to enact effective legislation. And I asked the Taoiseach... Okay, uh, yeah. If he couldn't or wouldn't do any of those things, yeah. should people vote for somebody else? Well, the first point, the legislation is there. The courts are there. The special criminal court is there. The Gardaí are telling me and they're telling you and making it absolutely clear that they believe they have the resources they need. The Garda numbers in now the Drogheda have gone so up. So this is the best we can do? In no, no, Michael. You no, see, no, you're throwing no, no, your hands no, up no, here. You're saying that's the no, best I want we can to, do. No, no, no. You, you asked me four mm, questions mm, there, yeah. basically. Yeah. And as a guard support for the Gardaí, the number of Gardaí have increased this year alone from 20, 25 additional guards mm. plus now five new sergeants plus another five Gardaí. But the key point is the Gardaí are satisfied they have the resources. What they need mm. is the people in the community who have knowledge out there to give them information mm. that they may hold which may in result in these people being brought before the courts. The guards tell me even if they go to the mm. special criminal court as they did in the past they have to have the facts and they'll only get okay. the facts well, when, when they the have the, the evidence. The, Michael, the answer that, that is, is the same. Fact. We're, we're, yeah. we're doing all but, we can, in other words. Yeah, no, but, but the, the problems point, continue? No, well, Michael, but let, let's, let's, let's look at it slightly further. The fact is, in the past, the country was bankrupt. We all know that. Uh, no, no, mm. no, it was, and that's mm. why there were cutbacks. Well, but now there aren't cutbacks. There's more money than ever before. If everything is being Michael, done, or make, if there's excuses well, offered, maybe yeah. people should look no, to this somebody is, else. This is not an excuse. The okay. point is, mm. the key empowering uh, thing for any family... Country being, the country job, being bankrupt We had to beg for resources. Mm. We literally no, no. had to mm. beg. I stood up and said to the Taoiseach, are you waiting till somebody gets killed? I mean, I literally had to stand up every single week to beg. After very near close killing, Stednash needs to be given some time here.
time and again I was in the studio and various other studios and most importantly actually in the forum to which I was elected the Senate mm-hmm. back in 2016 and since 2017 I've been arguing with successive ministers for justice for more resources were drawn in the only but time... But you cut them when you were sitting well, at the cabinet well, table, know, Sinn Féin, <coughs> Sinn Féin now, you know, have a partitionist mentality. No. You know, it's as if there was no such thing as cutbacks in the North. There was. And you I cut 22 guards from your own hometown. Can I finish? And that's not even... They're, no stranger. The They're no stranger to austerity. And in fact, <coughs> Emelda's colleague, Louise O'Reilly, admit, more or less admitted uh, on the last word of me yesterday evening... That they introduced cuts like, for example, the increase in the pension age in Northern Ireland because they had a certain amount of money to spend on public services and they had oh. to cut their cloth uh, to, mm-hmm. to measure. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we rubbish, know, I mean, rubbish. Sinn Féin can't be trusted on crime and security because they don't support or the special yeah, criminal court. The and we know that. And Mike, that's Mike, a very Mike. awkward okay, well, question that, for that, them to that, respond. But, but can, I, can I say that's this? You know, we all know what, what we're mm. focusing on here is the future. Mm. The past is a foreign mm. country. Mm. We now have... No, you want to forget the, about no, the, your the past. You abandon the people of this town. Certainly not. James Burr, I, mean, I prefer James if Burr, I wasn't when interrupted. And Michael, if you, as, as the chair of this debate, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, asking, I'm moving. I'm, 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 I'm moving on because we're, we're losing track yeah, just, of the conversation, I'm, I'm, and I want to bring back to the conversation. To James Byrne. James Byrne. When you were meeting with the young people last night, were they saying Fianna Fáil destroyed the country and Sinn Féin uh, increased uh, the pension age in the north, and Labour and Labour and Fine Gael introduced water charges, and all these all these political points. The reality is. Where they concentrated on a problem and if there's a solution. Yes, Michael, look, the reality is that's what we're hearing at the doors. People want solutions solutions to our problems. And what's not being discussed is the the lack of investment in our Garda station in Leighton. And the only candidate on the ballot paper who happens to live in an estate that's in Drota County Meath, if I ring the guards, I'm getting Ashburn. Mm. Something has to be done. Only open twenty hours. Part time Garda station, and let's not let's not kid ourselves. (coughs) The feud has spilled over into East Meath, and people there are feeling extremely vulnerable. But the direct reply to that is, and the Garda chief superintendent, and if you wish, ask him that they do respond in terms of any emergency response unit that's needed or armed response Mm. unit in East Mead or Loud. Yeah. That's a Garda administrative decision. I agree and I've written mm. to the actual uh, d- the minister, sorry, the, the Garda mm. commissioner about a new Garda station for East Mead. It's absolutely essential. Yeah. The Garda, I want to go back to Jed Nash. The Garda, the, the, the Garda have a, a problem. Uh, they may have a lot of resources recently, but they have a, a problem, don't they? Uh, if somebody is shot in the Bridge of Peace, let's say, and at the same time uh, yeah. somebody's trying to dig an ATM out of uh, a wall in Dunleer. Yeah. That's right, because you know, there is there is that absence absence of resources that we would all acknowledge. But I am. If there's one thing I think I'm reckless for, is somebody who likes to think they can get things done. I'm solutions oriented. People here are trying to not fight the last general election, but the one before that as well. Mm-hmm. We need to be focused on future solutions to these kind of problems. And I've outlined what those solutions should be, and I've published actually this week. And probably the only candidate to do it. And I do it at every election. I've got a manifesto for change in this area that I'm happy to be held to account on if I'm elected to the Dáil to represent this area. An area I'm very, very proud of. Indeed, the armed response. Um, Sorin Dunlear so at the, the same the, time the, as the Mel- monster, Just, yeah. just to come in there for a second so when we're talking about Sinn Féin is going to job. stop mm. the, the increase in the pension age. We're going to reverse it mm. to back to 65. But you, you're listening to Senator Nash and Fergus O'Dowd. Both of them voted 
for the pension increase. It's on the doll record. Oh, Sinn Féin, Emily. We had a long conversation. Yeah. 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 Louise O'Reilly admitted it on the last word yesterday. It's there in black and white. And you won't reverse it in the north. Let me go back to James Byrne. We're changing the subject. I'm going to try and keep it on subject because I think people listening to us this morning will say, is there any solution to all of this? If I'm if I can put the question to James Byrne, is there any solution to all of this? If Sinn Féin won't recognise the special criminal court, if Fine Gael take away the resources and if the Labour Party is take talking about something else altogether and, and, and Fianna Fáil stopped recruiting Gardaí? Well, Michael, that, down that's, that's one of the reasons why we won't go into government with Sinn Féin at Because Peter Fall closed at, down Templemore. No, we didn't did. close down Templemore. We put you a did. pause in recruitment. <laughs> we didn't close it. Okay, the, so the how many guards were the trained the there when it was closed? <laughs> the country was in crisis. But Fianna Fáil has solutions. Okay, we're talking about tougher legislation. Okay, we're talking about bringing in a new, uh, establishing a new rural crime bureau. Because under the Fine Gael-led governments of... The, the past nine years, our specialist units were depleted. Were depleted. Okay, so we need a permanent armed response unit here in Drotta. We need to set up uh, the, the rural crime bureau to deal with the the criminality along the border, um, to prevent the likes of, of ATMs in, in Dunleer and other villages around the, the constituency been targeted. Um, we need to, as I said, tougher legislation. We need to tackle uh, anti-social behaviour. We need to uh, get tougher on uh, on knife crime, and we need to jail these gangland terrorists. And the special criminal court is the place to do that. With okay. the evidence, that's the problem. Is uh, getting uh, the evidence. Okay, yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. Well, as I've said to you last week, mm. um, Mike, we look at. We've been calling for a review of the judicial system since 2017, mm. and we look at any and all options that have the ability to bring people before the courts. But have differently recognised the special court. Well, I, think, I, think, I think you've said you're open it to it. Just a review. We've made it abundantly clear. And, you know, there's, there's people here and they're saying that they, they want the word of a chief superintendent. Neither the Minister for Justice, senior officials in the you Department of the Justice, evidence. the Office of yeah. the Attorney General, yeah. or even the guards. What the guards are saying is they mm. need more investment, more resources. Okay. And, and, and Fergus O'Dowd and seems to be agreeing with you. You're saying yeah, no, you need I, the evidence. I, 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 yes, but the evidence will only come from the people who can help, and mm. obviously the analysis that's done. But the guardy repeat to me, when I asked them specifically about the Central Criminal Court, they, need the, they must be mm. able to prove it. The other point is, the biggest the word of a superintendent or chief superintendent oh, yeah, is not a, a, enough no, evidence in your enough. mind. It'll okay. be thrown yeah. out because okay. they had a case mm. recently where it was thrown out because they couldn't share information mm. with the judge mm. uh, on, on whatever the reasons were. Okay, Jed, Jed Dash on that point. That's a very interesting mm. point, actually, mm. Fergus raised. Because you know, my, my own advice on this from, from senior counsel um, is uh, criminal justice experts is that some elements of that legislation may require um, Im- improvement, mm. but there's one particular element that doesn't, mm. and it goes right up against the edge of what would be permissible under our constitution mm. and the European Court of Human Rights, uh, the, the mm. Convention on Human Rights, and that is the section actually that refers to those who are directing 
um, criminal gangs. Yeah. And that's the piece of legislation that we want to see used. I don't believe I don't, is I don't believe membership of a gang. The problem is the membership of a membership of a gang. Yes, you could do could do with review. But we all agreed that it should happen, and we have all to work to get a solution legally. Okay, put these guys away. I think so. I think everybody would agree that either you do or you end up with a police station. We're out of time, so thank you to everybody for coming into us. Before you leave the studio, though, just a quick wrap up. A final chance for you to make your pitch. We'll go from my left round the table, starting in other words with Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash. Well, this area is my priority. It's a town that I love, a town I'm very proud of, and we know that this town, town can do better, better. That's why this week I proposed a number of solutions, a 20-point action plan to make sure that Drogheda can realise its potential in terms of IDA investment, in terms of making our streets safer, in terms of education provision and improving our infrastructure, like, for example, building the long-awaited Northern Port Access Route. Unfortunately, this town has been ignored over the last few years and needs a decisive voice in the doll. It's got the influence to try to bring change to this area, change for the better for everyone. Fianna Fáil, Councillor James Byrne. Michael, Fianna Fáil is the only credible alternative to the current failed government. And to get into government, we need to elect two Fianna Fáil TDs in this Dáil constituency. And I'm asking people to vote James Byrne, number one, and my colleague Declan Brannock, uh, number two. And I believe we can deliver the two seats. Fianna Fáil is the only party to set out a clear route for a fair tax system that promotes balanced regional development, delivering prosperity into every home, not a few. Fianna Fáil will deliver an Ireland for all. Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd. I'm speaking as a parent, a grandparent, a teacher who worked for 25 years in this town. I know all the families, I know the issues, I work for them and will continue to do so. The biggest thing that will empower people is work. And today there are 10,000 more people at work in County Loud than there were in 2011. We're committed to making people, to get a job and also to have a significant investment in Drogheda. The new data centre will have over 275 full-time workers there uh, over the first two-year period and at least 50 after that. The town is moving on. We are now central to the development of this country. We were a regional growth centre for jobs and employment. I'm committed to that privately, publicly, personally, 24 hours a day. And we conclude with Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster. Sinn Féin have an ambitious plan for Ireland and that's all about change. Since the foundation of the state, we've had Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael always have it their own way. Since 1949, we've had Labour propping up or going into coalition and doing the exact same thing as Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. People want change. People deserve change. What Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and Labour at times, they're for developers, they're for bankers, they're for the insurance companies, they're for vulture funds. Sinn Féin are for workers, families and communities. And it's time for change and people deserve that change. Okay, thank you to the four candidates uh, from the constituency of Louth East Meath. The general election will be held on Saturday the 8th of February. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, we've been talking about cocaine and uh, the related problems in uh, the town of uh, Drogheda, indeed, in uh, towns right uh, across uh, the country. But it's not just uh, a problem in towns in this country, it's a problem in rural Ireland. According to the Irish, Far- Irish Farmers Journal this week, it's an open secret that cocaine is a problem in rural Ireland. And Hannah Quinn Mulligan, news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal, 
Journal has this story. She's on the line and a very good morning to you, Hannah, and thanks uh, for joining us. Tell us a, a little bit about what you've been finding out, in particular about uh, this young farmer uh, who started taking cocaine at the age of 18. Yeah, it's a very, very sad story. So I guess like everyone, I've been struck by the news and the headlines. I've been researching the story since before uh, Christmas, actually. Um, but the open secret uh, quote that comes from Narcotics Anonymous, and which would be similar to Alcoholics Anonymous, and they say they have an unprecedented demand for uh, meetings in rural Ireland now. But this farmer in, in question, he's a dairy farmer. He comes from a very kind of traditional, uh, you know, loving, kind of quote-unquote normal family. You know, people have this idea in their heads of what is an addict um, and it's usually someone from an inner city background or someone whose uh, family has a history of drugs issues. Um, and while those people are more exposed and more vulnerable uh, to drug problems, you know, this da- dairy farmer wasn't. Um, and I suppose like a lot of teenagers, very similar story, you know, started you know, drinking with lads when he was about 15. But then just in his local nightclub at the age of 18, it wasn't even in a city or a big town, he was introduced to cocaine and that started a a battle with addiction that lasted Mm. over 10 years. The story, I suppose, so many people could tell. You take it, it's a bit of crack or whatever way you're looking at it, uh, but it becomes a habit and then an expensive addiction. That's it. And he explains, you know, it started as a weekend spree and just with the lads, it was kind of peer pressure just to kind of keep up with them as well. And, you know, start with a few pints and and finish with a couple of lines of cocaine and just to keep going. And it just kind of spiralled out of control for for him. He was building up, looking forward to the weekend. He wasn't able to keep it in check. He was having weekday sprees then. He admits to, you know, to taking cocaine on the farm just to try and keep him awake. Um, you know, it's a very sad story. His, his family relationship broke down. They didn't know what was going on with him. And then a couple of years later, he was caught by Gardi actually dealing cocaine because his whole life cycle became focused on when and where he was going to get his next hit. And I think mm. that will resonate for a lot of people listening who might have ever been t- touched by addiction issues. Where do you um, get a, a hit? <laughs> where where do you buy a deal in the middle of the countryside? I mean, it's one thing having street dealers in yeah. towns and so on. But when you're in a, a very rural area, where do you score? That's what's so scary is that he said he never had any issue getting access to cocaine at any stage, you know, um, of his addiction for over 10 years. He, he said he never had any problem getting cocaine um, and it became a cycle of lying for him. Um, and his family didn't, didn't realise until Gardy called the house and explained that he was being charged with um, possession and dealing. And he was he was dealing to kind of fuel his own habit mm. as well. Um and uh, he he went to prison and he talks about the shock and the shame as well for his family because his name was in the local newspapers. Um, And, you know, he he talks about his family visiting him in in prison, his mother kind of, you know, Mm. being very upset and how he said he was going to turn his life around. But, of course, it was a number of years later it still took even after he left prison um, for him to actually do that. And and he is in rehab now and he's coming to the end of his Mm. day. Um, but uh, he, and he's really looking forward to getting back on the farm and putting his life back back together again. Mm. But you know, it's worrying because what Coonwira, the rehab centre, and what Narcotics Anonymous are saying as well is that if you're in a rural area and you're a recovering addict and you're trying to do something as simple as access a local meeting, and you know, if you Google AA and Alcoholics Anonymous yeah. meeting, mm-hmm. there's usually one in every you know village or town in in a, in Ireland, rural Ireland or urban Ireland. Um, but if you're looking for a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, it's usually only in bigger towns, uh, a 
So for that, for this man in question, you know, he also has a problem with that alcohol addiction and he's lost his licence. So he has to get a family member to drive him to the nearest big town for an, an A meeting. And, and that's really difficult if he didn't have that family support. So mm. if you're a recovering addict and you're in rural Ireland, you know, you have a doubly difficult standpoint because when you leave rehab rehab as many people listening will know you know it's not it's not a one uh, it can't fix it can't it's not a magic wand you know it doesn't make the problem vanish you still have a problem with addiction sounds like it's easier to get the cocaine than it is to get the support to give up uh, the cocaine i think there's many people uh, like the persons you're talking about uh, who would be poly users not just use one drug uh, but cocaine uh, and alcohol uh, quite frequent quite often uh, hash or 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 weed uh, as well on top of all of that uh, but uh, it's commonplace uh, uh, you're saying for people uh, in rural areas uh, to be using drugs like this uh, any reason why is it just because that's what people do and that's what people perceive other people to do these days well I guess I felt very innocent when I started investigating it um because it's not so much me saying it as speaking to the experts who are saying it. You know, it's uh, the Kumbwira and uh, also Narcotics Anonymous, who'd be a national organisation as well, you know, saying they have demand for meetings in places like West Clare, you know, places that never, you wouldn't Mm. associate as having a problem with cocaine uh, addiction or or access to cocaine. Even if you look at the National Health Research Board figures, um, you know, there's been a threefold increase in the number of people seeking treatment for cocaine addiction between 2012 and 2018. And if you look at a county like Donegal, in 2012, there didn't have any cases of anyone seeking uh, treatment for cocaine addiction. Five years later, there's 44 people. And we're not saying all those people are from rural Ireland. We're not saying all those people are farmers, but it just goes to pinpoint there's a problem there in counties where there was never a problem. And there's always a lot more people using than there are seeking treatment uh, for that matter. That's it. All right, Hannah, listen, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, People can read more in uh, the Irish Farmers Journal and our thanks uh, to New correspondent Hannah Quinn Mulligan. Now, before we leave you in the short time that we have, uh, let's return to some of the many comments that have been coming to us. Marie? Lots of them. Marie from Cals was listening into the interview or the debate there with the Louth mm. councillors, draw a debate, and says that in relation to... Um, the comments about soap operas that she agrees that there's awful dark storylines in some of them and that there's terrible violence as well mm. and it can young children are often allowed to watch them when mm. they shouldn't be watching them she also thinks that a lot of parents both parents are having to work they're coming home not having much time with their children because of the busy lives mm. that they have to leave children are not being supervised properly not having homework checked etc she says that it, there's a lot, an awful lot of pressure on families and is also concerned about video games. Okay, and I, I think the point uh, that I was trying to make is that you reap what you sow and the question is, what is it that we are sowing? Stephen phoned in to say there was a great response to the local Southside project last night in Drogheda that great we mentioned, stuff, yeah. Michael, mm-hmm. and that young people got a chance to get their voice heard. Mm. Michael phoned in regarding Brexit. One thing to remember, Ireland voted to stay in the EU and Scotland did the same. We have to go with the people's wishes. Brexit will work out for us. Okay. Theresa phoned in to say Regina Doherty is forgetting that it was the old age pensioners who voted for them the last time, so they know what to do this time. Eileen Indudleek phoned in to say Michael gets better and better. You are an excellent man at your job. Sean 
John phoned in to say that you were very rude to Regina Doherty and you shouldn't have treated her like that. So that's okay. a flavour of them. Well, Lots thank more. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Uh, that uh, sums it up uh, in many ways. Uh, thanks for that, Marie. Thanks everybody who has been in touch. They have to be the final words on our programme today. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Marie for producing, Maggie for researching and Chris in the control tower. I hope you have a lovely weekend and God willing we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning with Ken Murray at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.